0: Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with on Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Imig, from 88.9. Okay, Bobby, this week we're going to Williams Bay, Wisconsin, which is right on Lake Geneva itself. And this is a, a story that I, we've first never been to Williams Bay, and we've got an incredible building there that has caught your attention, and it goes back to the 18, what 1880s,
1: 1890s? 1890s, yeah, 1890s. Beautiful building, had the world's largest telescope for a long time, as you said. Had all these groundbreaking things uh, happened there, and it was so well-known in astronomy and science circles that when Albert Einstein came to the United States in 1921, he said there were two places he absolutely, absolutely had to visit. One was Niagara Falls, and the other was the Yerkes Observatory.
0: Really? Right in and, and Williams Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? So how did it get there in Williams Bay? And, and why, you know, of, of all places, why, you know, why right on Lake Geneva? <laughs> well, so, you know, Yerkes wanted
1: to rehabilitate his uh, reputation. And so his deal when he gave the money was that it had to be built within a certain distance from Chicago because I think if he thought if it got too far afield, it wouldn't, uh, you know, people wouldn't know about it and give him credit for it. Uh, okay. And at the time, you know, not unlike now, a lot of Lake Geneva is owned by, you know, Chicago elite. So I think it was a it was a key thing because uh, it, Chicago money. Yep, And there was a train that went directly from Chicago up there. So it was easy to get to. So I think it made sense because it was also dark, much darker than than Chicago would have been at the time.
0: Okay, so it was far enough out of Chicago where you could get a big, you know, beautiful view of the sky, and it could yeah. be used for scientific purposes, and he could still kind of get the credit for financing this close to the Windy City,
1: I see. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and so it right. operated for a decade, I mean, it operated, it closed in, in 2018, It um, and actually I should say, I shouldn't say operated, because it still does operate in some form. The University of Chicago doesn't use it anymore, but there are still two robotic telescopes, smaller ones Um That scientists
0: do use. Wow, and it's actually scientists from all over the world, right? That are able to kind of remote into this telescope and still keep an eye on things like satellites and. Yeah, yeah. In the old days, it
1: was very work intensive. You had to travel, you had to be there in person, you had to sit there all night and move the telescope, and you know, um, and have people to help you do this sort of thing. But now it's all robotic. Nobody comes there anymore. Really, it's all done over the internet. Data is just sort of generated and sent over the internet. So um, these two smaller. But just as strong telescopes, they're much smaller than the giant one, but they're just as strong. Um, people still do all sorts of research there, including the Japanese Space Agency apparently uses it to monitor satellite locations.
0: And you think about it, I mean, the reason why we're able to automate and the reason why science has been able to progress are, is literally because of of the research that originated here. You think about you know the being the, the largest telescopes, we wouldn't have things like satellites, we wouldn't have the internet, we wouldn't have the ability to remote into computers across the world without some of that early research that happened, um, of the heavens and probably right here because of this telescope, because it did such a good job. It like, uh, made itself obsolete.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a reason why we're talking about this right now in 2022, Bobby, you know, it closed back in 2018, but there's another chapter and that's actually the whole site is being redeveloped. We're going to pick up that conversation next on urban spelunking. It's the most charitable time of year, and we have a way for you to give a gift to Radio Milwaukee and yourself. Donate your unwanted car, truck, motorcycle, or boat, and let us take it off your hands. Your gift will support the music and stories you enjoy every day, and it may even qualify you for a tax deduction. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org slash cars to schedule your free donation pickup today. All right, we are back on Urban Spelunking in Williams Bay, Wisconsin, at the Yerkes Observatory. So let's just kind of give a visual here, just what this looks like. So it's under this huge domed retractable roof, right? And there's this elevator that allowed scientists to get to the eyepiece, right? And it was this huge like, platform that raised and lowered to, to actually get to the telescope.
1: Yeah, it's, an incre- it's a really big and incredibly um, ornamented sort of a beautiful building that was designed by Henry Ives Cobb, who is a really well-known architect who also designed the Newberry Library in Chicago and some other buildings. Um, And so it's, I mean, they, they wasted no, (laughs) they held back in no way on this building. I mean, there's just ornament everywhere outside. There's all kinds of faces and allegorical figures and all sorts of decoration. Um, And what's funny is that the, the architect even, uh, was poking fun at Yerkes made made really sort of alarming portraits of Yerkes <laughs> that you can still see on the building today
0: um, I, are they would they qualify as grotesque Probably not I think maybe, so yeah no I yeah. think they
1: would I think they would and there's one depiction of the then president of the University of Chicago that's similarly grotesque then there was one um,
0: of yeah, Rockefeller. He had this big long nose, right? Yes, that, yeah, was, so that like, was Rockefeller, like right? And he something? was, okay.
1: yeah, and there, there were he was being stung on the end of his nose by a hornet, um, and it was sort of the suggestion was that he was being stung by the university for his money because he was a big donor to the university. Oh, how sassy! Um, Yeah, and so people got really upset. So if you go there now, you can find those right by the entrance, and you can see where they chipped off. They made the workmen go back and chip off the the hornets.
0: Wow. (laughs)
1: And you can still see the marks from that. So, yeah, so on the outside, it's a really stunning building, just beautiful. And on one end, there's a really giant dome where the biggest telescope was, and then on the opposite end, there's two smaller domes where those um, robotic telescopes are today. And at the time, the grounds were – landscaped by the Olmsted brothers, whose father, Frederick Law Olmsted, oh, wow. of course, was famous for doing Lake Park in, mm-hmm. in Milwaukee and uh, Washington Park. And he also, of course, did Prospect Park in Brooklyn, Central Park in New York, just ever, all over. So this well, was a really... A little,
0: little park, a little landscaper you might yeah, have heard yeah, of, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> still a t- they've sold off some of the land, so it's not as big a spot as it was, but it's still pretty giant. So there's still walking paths and, and all sorts of stuff there.
0: Yeah, when I was looking at the pictures in your story, it almost looked like uh like a Grand Cathedral or uh like the the dome itself. Um not, not the telescope dome, but inside, is it like underneath the dome, the the entrance? Yeah. Like
1: yeah. yeah. Yep. When you walk in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean it really is like a cathedral to science, isn't it? It's like a
0: in that sense. So let's talk about the telescope. This is this is huge. It's a 40-inch refracting telescope. I take it that's the like the inner workings of the telescope, Yeah, like right? the
1: lens, right? Yeah, the lens. And at the time, it was by far the biggest in the world um, until actually the guy who was the director of the museum went and built other ones in other places. Um, but it was still so big that, I mean, up until it was uh, shut down recently, it was still in use because it was still a valuable – uh, a valuable telescope to use, even though it was no longer like the apex of technology, it still served a purpose. So people still came. There are all kinds of um, people, all sorts of famous scientists. I mean, not famous to other scientists, I guess, like Nobel Prize winners and things um, who spent time there, including um, Carl Sagan was there oh wow you right about that yeah carl sagan mm-hmm. was
0: there um, there's a picture of einstein there i mean
1: einstein of course was there that was right. the one place he had to visit uh edwin hubble spent time there you know the uh, of course there was the hubble telescope
0: um, the telescope you might have heard of
1: yeah well, in fact he had telescope. some
0: some really complicated uh mathematical like personal journal entries that were sent up to space and there's a uh, record of that inside the building right? yeah
1: what's really funny is when i got there the director the current director dennis coys who used to be at the milwaukee public museum um said when he first went into the library there's this room that has these beautiful wooden shelves looks like a university library or something he said he just sort of randomly pulled a book off the shelf just as you know as you would you're walking around and he, just, he just pulled something off the right. shelf had nothing written on the spine he opened it and it turned out to be edwin hubble's original like uh doctoral thesis or PhD thesis or something. Um, And he said it wasn't long. It was, I don't remember if he said it was like seven pages or something. I'm like, that's a thesis he said, but it was the most insanely complicated mathematical equations you'd ever seen. Um, And the first page was missing of it. And there was a note slipped in instead that said the page had been lent to NASA to send up into space. Wow. Um, So, I mean, that's the kind of place it is where that kind of stuff happens. And you can walk into the, an office and, you know, I walked into one office that's right on the edge of where the, um, where the big telescope dome is, so the wall is curved, and they built in Florida ceiling bookshelves that follow that curve. It's really a beautiful, unusual shaped space, but beautiful. And I remarked on that, and he said, uh, "He said, oh yeah, this was uh, a Nobel Prize winner's office here. You know, just crazy. The, NASA's first chief of astronomy, Nancy Gross, uh, Grace Roman, spent a bunch of time there. Uh, really Kuiper." Wrong. Who, Gerard Kuiper, who was—they named the Kuiper Belt after, which is this astronomical phenomenon. Uh, phenomenon. He spent time there, so it, it's really an, an incredibly important piece of, I'd say, American, but really international astronomy history.
0: Absolutely, and was so. Was this a surprise when when you shared this story out originally? Were a lot of people aware of this? Because I'll be honest, I had no idea that this was so close to Milwaukee, and that. Um, you know, that the world's largest telescope was here in the state.
1: Yeah, I'd say it was a mix. I was surprised there 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 weren't too many people in the middle. It was um, there were loads of people who seemed to know a lot about it. And then loads of people who were like, wait, what?
0: <laughs> I'm <laughs> in the wait, thing, what wait, what category for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so it's incredible. I mean, it closed to tours in 2018. Um, but then the university basically transferred it to a nonprofit foundation, Um that is currently in the midst of getting it ready to reopen. Um, and it's going to be a really, really, really multifaceted place. There's like a, there's an old house on the grounds that they're fixing up. That'll be like a place that artists and writers can come and be in residence Oh, cool! Uh, to do projects. They're going to do things like film festivals and concerts out on the grounds. They're going to completely um, read, store the Olmsted plan as best as possible since the site, the site's not exactly the same size anymore, but they're going to do that as best they can and have like walking trails and paths. And, um, there's going to be a museum component to it. There's going to be arts programming component to it. This, it's going to really just be this multifaceted thing that, uh, welcomes really all different kinds of people in all to do with science and the arts.
0: How cool it's, so the, the vision is to, cr- to create this kind of multi-use space that has this science focus still uh, true to the, true to the building. Um, so is it kind of like, a, can people rent this? Is it going to be an event as yeah, well? Or yeah. is it going to be kind of a community gathering? Like what's, well, how would you categorize what this is going to be? Yeah. What are they calling it?
1: I'm not sure exactly what they're calling it, but they are, I and mean, they are renting it out for weddings and things are already, I think the first wedding, at least when I was there had already been booked for, I think this coming summer. Okay. And I think what they really want it to be is sort of a a destination kind of place. So it's going to have the museum with exhibits, it's going to have some interactive stuff. There's going to be something like a science playground for families and children. There's going to be programming, like I said, with all these like film and artists and science authors and writers and things like that um, and events and they'll hold conferences there. But I think they're, they're thinking of it as sort of a pilgrimage site for science You know, and he said, uh, Dennis, the director said, he comes from an art museum background. And, you know, in in the art world, there's all kinds of destinations. If you're interested in art, you like go to the Getty in L.A. or you go to the Guggenheim in New York. There are all these Mm -hmm. places you sort of make pilgrimages to. But in science, other than maybe NASA, you know, there's just there's not really a whole lot of places like that for people to go. So they're trying to create a, a space that where all of these sort of big ideas Um, in art and science can be kind of celebrated and investigated and, you know, just be the subject of research, subject of all this kind of programming. and, And really, they seem completely open minded about what what can happen there, so long as it kind of fits that general science and arts
0: connection. How cool. Yeah, I, I know for, for me, I'm a huge space nerd and I'm almost embarrassed I didn't know that this was here because when I was down in uh, Orlando a couple years ago, I, I made it a point to take the drive and go to the Kennedy Space Center because I, I just had to see these original, you know, the original shuttles and the, mm-hmm. the all this all this incredible firsthand history and to have something like that so close to milwaukee i mean
1: yeah it's 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 pretty amazing and they're going to start doing public tours as early as summer if not sooner so they're really getting ready to ramp up opening at least
0: in phases well before we go i want to ask a a bit more about all the stuff that's in there now because i was looking in your story and i mean tons and tons of scientific history of course the telescope itself and Mm -hmm. the big uh the big elevating platform that used to put scientists up to the to the uh, eyepiece, but mm-hmm. I mean, you walked through and found all this, you know, technology dating way, way back and present day technology. What's going to happen, all this stuff inside?
1: Um, some of it, they're going to keep, I mean, there's a whole bunch of old like computer technology and stuff that I, I and things that have sort of gone into space or sent to Antarctica for research and, and stuff like that. And I have yeah. a feeling that some of that, I mean, they're not getting rid of that stuff. I, I think at least some of it will end up in some part of the museum component. Of the place, you know, um, although it's not going to be entirely a museum with a bunch of objects that, you know, they don't really want it to be something quite that um, stayed, you know. Um, sure. But they also have this huge collection, a couple hundred thousand, I think, glass plate photo negatives that were photos taken through the telescope, through the big telescope, because as much as people went to the telescope to kind of look through it, that it, it really what it did was made images. yeah, And and so they the, the university, I guess, technically still owns the images, but they're going to be housed permanently at the Yerkes, and Yerkes is going to have staff that's going to be digitizing images and making them available online, which is amazing because these hundreds of thousands of glass plates, which are super fragile and they're one-of-a-kind sorts of things, they're often the first photographs of stars and comets and all kinds of things because it was doing this really early. Um, and in some cases, it's the only, still the only image of some of these things. So it's it's incredibly precious collection. Um, they also have a huge library of books that they're sorting through, books and magazines, um, to sort of separate out what is key for them to keep and what they can deaccession because copies exist in libraries all over the place. In which case, they don't really need to keep them there as well.
0: Um, yeah. So the 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 very the, the goods. The rarest. Yeah,
1: right. The rare stuff and the, the unique stuff and, and that sort of thing. Um, then I guess they'll sell some of it um, that they can or give it away, whatever the value is with that. There's also, um, they have a Kuiper sphere. And this is a thing that Gerard Kuiper built when he was there, which was groundbreaking because, um, you know, when you look at a photo of the, you know how you look at the map of the earth? It's out of perspective because you're looking at a rectangular image of of a globe. And so yes. he realized that if you project these images onto an actual sphere, you oh. get much more accurate um, representation of the surface. And in fact, uh, the director said that NASA may have used this to select the site for the first moon landing in 1969 because it was much more accurate than just looking at
0: no way and satellite wow. images
1: like flat images. Um, so that's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. You've got a picture of that Kiefer sphere right in the story too. So that's a chance to, I mean, talk about some of those glass, those glass photographs and you know, the, yeah. the Kiefer sphere really things that led scientific discovery, literal first in history. Yeah. You know, scientific- they,
1: oh. Do you remember the hidden figures movie about the, about the women, the sort of, of unsung- Women yes. behind the scenes. Well, the same sort of situation existed at Yerkes because while the astronomers were upstairs peeking through the telescope, there were all these um, women who were working on these old time adding machines, doing all these various calculations to tell them where to point the telescope. <laughs> um, and they still have some of those. Um, they st- still have some of those machines, which is pretty incredible. And when um, in the in the 1980s, you know, Reagan was trying to. Create this missile defense system that had been dubbed Star Wars, uh, because yes. it was going to be able to shoot missiles mm-hmm. missiles out of the sky before they ever got to the United States. That sort of thing. That didn't end up panning out, but some uh, some of the equipment ended up at Yerkes, which they used to. Um, famously, they called it "detwinkle the stars" because apparently a big um, a big impediment to taking good, accurate photographs of stars. Is the fact that you know because of the distance they travel the light twinkles, so they were able to use this machine to basically detwinkle the stars so that they could take much more accurate photographs.
0: We didn't get the Reagan era Star Wars, but we got the detwinkler for the. But
1: we, we did the detwinkle the stars.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is so interesting to think about you know all these firsts here and and all this history and there's a lot of I mean you always have great pictures in your stories, but this is a chance to really look at. All this history, you know, like an hour away from Milwaukee. So just really, really cool. And definitely go check out those photos. We've got them linked in the info box of the player right here on this episode. You can always find Bobby's stories linked on on uh, on our website as well. And you're definitely missing a lot of the story if you're not going On Milwaukee and checking out all his amazing photography. We don't want to give it all away um on radiomilwaukee.org. So plenty of reason to go to On Milwaukee and get much more photography and history and and to nerd out even deeper. Cause Bobby, you go deep on these stories. This is uh Yeah this you could learn one, a lot though. more
1: yeah you yeah you could learn a lot more about Charles Yerkes and 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 uh the the guy who was the sort of the the scientific force behind George Ellery Hale, behind the Yerkes Observatory. That, that's all in the story, and we didn't really talk about that today. So
0: well, podcasts here on 889 are produced by Kenny Perez. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and the rest of 889's podcasts. We've got them all at radiomilwaukee.org/slash podcasts. Got a food podcast, This Bites, hosted by Tariq Moody. We've got our film podcast, "Cinebuds," with Justin Barney, and of course, Tapped In our music podcast with Evan Rutleski. All right, Bobby, we'll see you next week. And we are going back to Milwaukee. We're going to be uh, in the Concordia neighborhood at a really beautiful um, Queen Anne mansion.
1: Yeah, it's going to be nice. It's a, it's, it's a place that a lot of people have probably seen but maybe and maybe wondered about, but uh, we're going to tell them all about it next week.
0: All right, we'll see you next week, Bobby.
1: Thanks.